Good morning. All right, there we go. So excited to see you all this morning. I want to welcome you to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus in all things. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you're a guest here uh, with us today, we want to welcome you. Uh, My name is Amos. I am one of the pastors here. Somebody told me that I have to start saying that uh, from now on. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that kind of felt awkward, but I'm going to work into it, though. I'm going to get used to it. Uh, There are guest information cards located uh, just outside the sanctuary for for our guest. Uh, So if you're a guest, please stop by and fill out one of those uh, cards and drop it in the basket. And we we really look forward to uh, connecting uh, with you all. I want to remind our parents uh, that for our covenant children, uh, the nursery is open today. And uh, also want to let our parents know that we need volunteers for the rest of the month of September. Uh, So please speak with Tiffany Williams. Or go ahead and email her at Tiffany, that's T-I-F-F-A-N-I, at enterthevillage.net. Also, we have a training coming, coming up, a mercy and care training. And so if anyone uh, will, who is uh, going to be participating in that training uh, needs child care, uh, please let Tiffany know. Again, you can contact uh, Tiffany at Tiffany at enterthevillage.net, and the uh, training will uh, be taking place on September the 19th at 6 p.m. All of uh, all of you are welcome to come. So at the Village Church, we believe that the giving of our tithes and offerings is an act of worship. Uh, so you may give to the vision and mission of the church uh, by using the link on our website, which is www.enterthevillage.net forward slash give. You can also mail a check uh, to our physical address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or you can simply drop your tithe or offering in the collection plate uh, in the back of the sanctuary. Also, we continue our corporate prayer times on Wednesdays, uh, but the schedule, of course, is a little bit different. If you are unable to attend, you may join us via Zoom and the links and reminders uh, for our prayer uh, gatherings uh, will go out via flock note on Tuesdays. And so, again, that's a reminder to sign up for flock note if you haven't already. Uh, last but not least, if you're interested in learning more about our church, uh, we want to encourage you to sign up for our Enter the Village class. Uh, there's a sheet out in the, uh, in the foyer in the, in the narthex Uh, to uh, sign up for the Enter the Village class, and it begins on September 26th at 9.15, and we'll meet in the Annex, which is the blue building uh, kind of adjacent to the church. So, family, friends, those are our announcements. As always, govern yourselves accordingly. Maybe you got up the 
this morning like, yes, let's go, let's worship Jesus. And I did not wake up like that this morning. I wish I had. I didn't. Um, and boy, sometimes, uh, you know, we get caught up in the busyness and the, the task orientedness. I know that's not a word, but we we can get really in that space. Um, of, you know, for me, it's getting here and getting here early, rehearsals and things like that. For you, it just may be this was a difficult week. For others, it's, oh my gosh, i got to get these babies dressed. <laughs> I remember that. Um, or it could be, you know, a, a whole host of things, illness, illnesses in your family, just their stuff. Um, but in the midst of the stuff, um, we have 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. And um, it's kind of like the guy who he wanted Jesus to, to heal his child and he says Lord I believe, help my unbelief sometimes you have to preach to yourself sometimes I have to tell myself Lord I believe, help my unbelief sometimes we have to say bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name because you gotta do that because you may not feel like or just may be really difficult for you to do so I ask you, I invite you to, if you are able to stand with us right now, um, as we sing this song, as our song of preparation, um, and I'm saying stand, but I guess it really is whatever posture is best for this moment of um, communion with the Lord and getting your heart and your mind right. That may not be standing, it may be sitting, it may be that you need to bow before the Lord on your knees. Whatever that posture is, um, as we sing this song of meditation, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name.
your holy name. Our call to worship this morning is taken from this song, My Savior's Love. Please join with me where it reads, Congregation. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus of Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Can we do that again? How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. Hi. 
high. You may be seated. At this point, I'm going to ask uh, Christina Kimberly and Emma Davis to please come forward. going through the Enter the Village class. I'm interviewed by the Elders Session Church and ready to take membership vows to join the Village Church. We're glad for that today. So, I'll ask yes. So, I'll ask the questions and you respond accordingly, okay? I've seen these five questions several times, I know. <laughs> anyway, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as become the followers of Christ? Do you promise to serve Christ in his church by supporting and participating in this worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to further its purity and peace? Welcome to the Village Church. Let's pray. Join, join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for Christina and Emma their desire to be part of this fellowship, to be part of this body, to be part of this family. And I pray that you would use them in our midst to edify us, to encourage us as we encourage them and edify them, Father, as we hear your word from week to week, as we uh, do, do things together as a community, as a family. I pray that you bless them, encourage them. Thank you for their desire to be part of us. Help us to welcome them uh, enormously today and to really uh, welcome into our fellowship, into our family. Thank you for uh, their desire to be with us, for your mercy to us, for the, your work of grace in their lives, Father, for their desire to serve you, to love you more. Uh, thank you for your grace. pray these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Be sure to welcome them after the service in, in the foyer. Welcome. passage today, so we're going to break it into two parts today, see how that works out. But, uh, praise be to God for his word. So the first part, we'll start with Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray 
Your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Until those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, these things I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the, even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its life light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, even from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. The word of the Lord. Good morning, saints. You can do better now. Good morning. Oh, much better, much better. This time when we reflect on our sin, the things we struggle with through the week, and it's a time to reflect and also a time to have a, an opportunity just to thank God for how great he really, really is, because he looks past our faults and see our needs. It's also a time for you to really think about how generous our God really is. If we really understand the, the chasm, the schism, the distance between us and God, you can rejoice at this time more so than anything because there was only one way and that was through the master Jesus Christ coming to die for us closing the gap between God and man and therefore our sins are forgiven and we can actually serve a God in a rightful way our Lord, our Savior, our Jesus I often think of times man there are people who walk up maybe you guys don't do this because y'all are holy I'm working on myself there are people that walk up and I hate to see them coming sometimes because they come with the same grief or they came with the same issue or they bring extra to the table. I imagine that's how God sees me. A broken person, always got issues, coming big and asking for stuff and never sit down to really thank him for what he has done and what his son has already done and what he continues to do and what he's going to do when we stand before him, he will no longer see our sin. So this is a great time. It's an it's a gr- awesome time. Because I am not all that I should be. And he's going to make me better. Let us go forward. And we're gonna, I'm going to read these confessions of sin. Coming from Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires, <clears throat> its desires is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. We'll take this time to reflect and thank our Lord for his greatness. Thank you. 
Amen. But I, like I said, our God is great. He always gives us a way of escape. And assurance of pardon comes from Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen.
Let's just uh, spend a couple of minutes and just in silent meditation on those words that we just sang. They are powerful. Let's just be in silence for a few minutes before our God. contrast to me before I knew you I was not worthy I brought not nothing to the table my righteousness was like filthy rags before you I was your enemy we all were before we knew you know from scripture that without blood it is impossible to take away sin the blood of bulls and goats is not enough we need the blood of Jesus that song talks about high and lifted up nail-pierced hands. The blood of Jesus has now been poured out upon us who know you. Your righteousness becomes our righteousness. It's no longer filthy rags. When the Father looks at us, He doesn't see us the way we used to be. He sees us in Christ. Father, I do pray for those here who are suffering. All of us are broken in different ways. And we so desperately need you. Just thank you for your grace and mercy that pours out upon us every day. May your spirit pour out upon us here today in this place as we hear the singing and the words and the sermon that it won't just bounce off of us, but it will pierce our hearts and that we'll be changed as a result of being here. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The next part of the scripture reading comes from Matthew 24, starting with verse 32 to to the end of the chapter. Now, 
learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at the at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed the house to be broken into. For this reason, you you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensitive slave whom the master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes." Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, so the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour in which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Try it again. Okay, yeah, I'm coming through the system now. Good morning. Good morning. All right, awesome. I'm so happy uh, to uh, see you all on this morning. Uh, I want to call something uh, to your attention. Uh, this morning, uh, we are returning to uh, the Olive Discourse, uh, which is what Brother Richard just uh, read. But before we begin, I want to point out the fact that I'm preaching through the Olivet Discourse again today, and I'm administering the Lord's Supper for the very first time in my life. Yeah, that's, you can celebrate that, but a brother's going to need a, a nap after the gathering, right? Uh, our dear friend, uh, Reverend Lyle Lee, often mentions the words of Dr. Earl Massey, James Earl Massey and Dr. Gardner C. Taylor that preaching the Word of God it's likened unto a burdensome joy, and I love that. Every, every time Lyle preaches, he's he's uh, you know he's mindful of that, and, and I love and I love that. So uh, may the magnitude of the word and sacrament uh, remain weighty on all of us, right? On me uh, today, uh, but for for all of us um, as we continue 
uh, living this life. So let's pray as we uh, dig into God's word. Father, I, I thank you that you are good. I acknowledge that you're good. Lord, I, to say that I'm overwhelmed by my tasks today is an understatement. So, Spirit, I need you. I need you to move in a special way because I'm timid. I'm, I'm scared. But your word tells us that you've not given us the spirit of fear. So, Spirit, I pray again that you would move in a mighty way today and that you would use me as a vessel for your glory. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. So, last week, uh, we began covering the Olivet Discourse, and we discovered the complexity of the Olivet Discourse. I want to remind you uh, that Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 24 and also in chapter 25, which I'm thankful that uh, Brother uh, Reverend Adam Tisdale is going to be preaching, <laughs> uh, these, these words have perplexed many biblical scholars and Bible teachers throughout church history. Some of the most beautiful minds from church history have struggled to put, put forth a cogent argument concerning the timeline of the fulfillment of the events of the Olivet Discourse. Now, there are issues, honestly, with every interpretive perspective concerning Jesus' exact meaning. Now, that's not a remark about the deficiency of the Word of God. God's Word is inerrant. It is infallible. But rather, this is an admittance that even the greatest minds, even the most beautiful minds, the the greatest theologians from church history haven't got it all together. This also forces us to admit our insufficiency, and it forces us to rely on the sufficiency of God to bring his word to pass. Last week, I took you to seminary, (laughs) and I introduced you to the preterist and the futurist views of the Olivet Discourse. I'm not going to rehash those today, but if you care, uh, please go check out the sermon from last week, and I pray that it blesses you. Now, for me, I will continue teaching this passage from a third perspective. It's an unnamed perspective, uh, but I will continue teaching from the perspective that in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus prophesied events that would most surely come to pass without respect to precise dates and time. Also part of my view that I will continue teaching this passage from is the understanding that prophecies can have multiple layers of fulfillment. This means that one prophecy can apply to multiple events that will take place or that have taken place throughout church history. And we will see this layered fulfillment pattern as we begin to unpack these verses. But I also want to remind you that it is not my agenda to merely educate you with the nuances of theological debate. Now, I would love to set up a time to have conversations with anyone 
who wants to talk about the details of this passage. I live for that kind of stuff. I got tons of books explaining that stuff. But just as I mentioned last week, that's not my primary agenda. My task today is to exalt the Lord Jesus and to call us all to faith and repentance in light of the truth of this passage. So today we're, we're going to unpack some of the, the, the complex uh, words of Jesus on today. Uh, but primarily, again, my task is to call us to faith and repentance. I want to remind us, and I want you to remember that in this passage, Jesus is primarily concerned with the faith, the character, and the conduct of the disciples. Remember, Jesus' earthly ministry is moving toward the climax. In a few short days, Jesus is headed to the cross. And shortly after, he will resurrect from the dead and Jesus will ascend to the right hand of the Father. This will leave the responsibility of the spread of the gospel to the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. So there is a sense of urgency in Jesus' words here because the spread of the truth of the gospel is at stake. If these disciples don't get this right, if they don't take Jesus' words to heart, then the spread of the gospel, which is the only hope for salvation for the entire world, will be in jeopardy. Now, obviously, we've got a lot of verses to cover. Uh, so please go ahead and prepare your hearts and your minds for a three and a half hour sermon. <laughs> We're going to be here for a while. I'm, I'm joking, of course. All jokes aside, I, I'm going to cover a bunch of verses <clears throat> very quickly. A bunch of scripture very quickly. So listen fast. This is a, a, a very theologically rich, but also a theologically dense passage. So in light of that, I want to give us a concise statement, which is pulled directly from the text that you can carry along with you wherever you go. All right, brace yourself. Are you ready? Here it is. The Lord Jesus wants his church to stay woke. The Lord Jesus wants his church to stay woke now. There's a part of me that hates that this sermon is going to go up online because I can already hear the heresy hawks ready to swoop in with their articles and their video clips ready to correct my critical race theory. But before I go any further, a couple things. First of all, I'm just not that guy, honestly. Uh, although this sermon is meant to be evocative, although I do pride myself on being a somewhat conscious black man, I don't subscribe to a secular idea of wokeness. But second and most important, this idea of, of, of staying woke is Jesus' idea. And some Christians are, are probably more concerned with the idea of wokeness than they are with their own personal sin in their lives. But let me put your minds at ease. Look at verse 42. Again, Jesus is primarily concerned 
with the faith, character, and conduct of his disciples. So in Matthew 24, verse 42, he says to them, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This idea of staying woke pictures a watchman who was looking out in anticipation for the return of a king or for a threat from an enemy. This is what the Lord Jesus meant when he told his disciples to stay awake. Look out for me because I'm on my way. Stay awake to my purpose. Stay awake to my promises and stay awake to my plan. And brothers and sisters, I could rattle off too many passages where the Lord God tells us to awaken from slumber or remain watchful. And so if John Piper can get away with calling himself a Christian hedonist, I think we're safe to embrace Jesus' warning to stay woke. Again, there's part of me that hates that I have to take time to clarify all this, but I'm aware of the cultural moment that we're in. So it's important for me to address it because we're going to cover these verses very quickly. But our primary message is rooted in Jesus' warning to stay woke in verses 42 through 44. Our passage starts in verse 15 with the Lord Jesus prophesying what he calls the abomination of desolation. We find similar words on the lips of the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapters 9, 11, and 12. The prophet Daniel spoke of a nation who would come and profane the temple by taking away the regular burnt offering and replacing it with items that would disgust a righteous and holy God. Now, many people in ancient Israel saw the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy In several actions, but most notably in the actions of Antiochus IV Epiphanes in 167 B.C. Now, Antiochus IV Epiphanes ordered an altar to Zeus to be erected in the temple and decreed the sacrifice of unclean animals like the swine. An altar to a false god was erected in God's house. This was an an abomination, and it proved that the temple was desolate. Now, I can assure you that the temple was most assuredly forsaken because God doesn't share his glory like that. Remember what God did to the Egyptian gods in the book of Exodus? Remember what God did to the bales. But in verse 15, Jesus sees the words of Daniel as not yet being completely fulfilled. Jesus uses Daniel's words to speak of an event that was coming. Now, the text doesn't exactly say what Jesus believes the abomination of desolation to be, but Daniel's words are the key to understanding what Jesus is getting at. The abomination will prove that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 38, is true. The house of Jerusalem is left to them desolate. Now, the abomination of desolation will prove 
that the house of Jerusalem is abandoned. And after Jesus' words are vindicated, the temple is going to be destroyed. Now, this abomination of desolation is not the destruction of the temple. Rather, it is a profane act that takes place inside the temple prior to its destruction. It is the final straw before the judgment of God comes upon the leaders in Jerusalem. And this is supported by the fact that in verses 16 through, t- 16 through 20, Jesus warns his disciples to flee Jerusalem after they see the abomination take place. Because that would be a sign that the tribulation is coming and that the temple would soon be destroyed. Now, this answers the disciples' questions from verse number 3 when they asked, When will these things be? Jesus warns his disciples that the abomination is a precursor for the beginning of the time of great tribulation. But I want to draw our attention to something. In verses 16 through 20, Jesus warns his disciples to get out to escape before the time of great tribulation. And we see, some, we, we, we see God doing something similar to this throughout the entire Bible. He preserves Joseph in Egypt. He tells Elijah that he has a remnant who has not bowed the knee to Baal. He comes to Joseph in a dream to preserve the life of little baby Jesus. Now, I wish I had more time to talk about the biblical theme of God's covenant preservation, how throughout the scriptures we see that God is always careful to preserve a remnant to ensure the continuation of his covenant promises. God's impending judgment would surely come upon the rulers of Jerusalem due to their rejection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, But Jesus... Our God was careful to warn his disciples of the signs of the beginning of the tribulation so they would know when to flee the persecution that would come to Jerusalem. This did not mean that all of the church would be spared suffering, the suffering of the great tribulation, as we will soon see. But it demonstrates the steadfast love of God who faithfully keeps his covenant promises. If the disciples are consumed in the great tribulation, the spread of the gospel ends with their demise. But Jesus says in verse 22 that if the time of tribulation were not shortened, no one would be left alive. So God is gracious to preserve mortal life so that some would be granted eternal life. So Jesus says in verse 21 that a period of tribulation would come that would be unlike any the world had ever seen and will ever see. And there is a layered fulfillment again in Jesus' words here. This period of great tribulation began with the persecution and destruction of Jerusalem, but it also serves as a picture of the persecution that the church has experienced all throughout church history, Uh, the persecution of the church, uh, the church, rather, has suffered persecution unlike the world has never seen, 
because our persecution has never ended. Think about it. The church has has experienced and suffered through continual persecution since its inauguration. Two thousand years of continued persecution is unprecedented. Now, persecution has been greater and lesser at times, but it's never ceased completely. The church age is also a period of great persecution and tribulation for the sake of Christ. Now, this is also supported by the words of the Apostle John, who wrote in the late first century, years after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., The Apostle John writes in Revelation 1 verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The Apostle John includes himself as one who is suffering tribulation for the sake of Christ outside Jerusalem years after the destruction in 70 A.D. And Jesus says that this period of tribulation will be characterized by calamity and suffering. And I think it's always important to pause parenthetically to talk about suffering because someone may read this text, maybe you, maybe your children, and wonder why God allows his children to suffer. Now, suffering is a recurring theme in the Bible. Real quick, if you, if you care, turn in your Bible to John chapter 16 and, and just leave it open there for a moment. Now, my brothers and sisters, the Bible is filled with promises. And one of those promises from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 16 verse 33 is suffering. Look at the second sentence in John 16:33. It says, "In this world you will not maybe you will have tribulation. Tribulation is a, another word for distress or suffering." So, my brothers and sisters, suffering is a reality for the Christian. Although that's true, I've grown weary of the romanticizing of suffering, particularly in reformed and pietistic Christian culture. Sometimes we can rush to Romans 8.28 too quickly without grieving. It is true, my brothers and sisters, that, that God is causing all things to work together for good, but we have simply forgotten how to grieve. We don't know how to lament. Our lives are so transient that in the blink of an eye, we're on to the next thing. We've put a time limit on grief, and we foolishly use the Bible to justify it. And it's got to stop. Well, David grieved the loss of his son in Second Samuel chapter 12, and then he got up and washed himself and worshipped. That overcooks my grits. I'll tell you why. Have you not read First and Second Samuel? David was almost killed twice by the king who was also his father-in-law. 
he lost multiple sons. Another one of his sons sexually abused one of his daughters. David's life was a picture of grief and sorrow and lament. Have you not read the Davidic Psalms? But our fix-it-now Christian culture has put a time limit on pain. Don't let that be true of the village church. You don't have to pretend like you got it all together. You don't have to pretend like the doctor didn't give you the prognosis. You don't have to pretend like they didn't break your heart. You don't have to prove that you got it all together. Come to the refuge of Christian community with your brothers and sisters. Cry, weep, wail, mourn. Because brothers and sisters, sometimes we suffer and the Lord graciously allows us a glimpse of the temporal reason for our suffering. But at other times, and probably most times, we suffer and the reason for our suffering is confined to the secret will of God. Sometimes there's not an immediately discernible reason for our suffering. And I've heard this before. Your setback is a setup for your comeback. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that your your setback is a setup for a great comeback. It sounds nice. But sometimes we suffer simply because the world is just broken. It doesn't work right. Can we be okay with that? Can we rest in the hope of Christ when no one can give you an immediate reason and resolution for your suffering? Can we have the posture of 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10 that says, Always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Now if you still have your Bible open to John 16, 33, I want you to look at the last sentence of verse 33 before we flip back over to Matthew. Jesus encourages us, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That is the hope that we have in suffering. Jesus has overcome the world. That is where we find rest. Our hope cannot be in the immediate Relief of suffering because sometimes it ain't going to happen like that. And as Jesus warns us, our hope cannot be in man either. Because this time of great, great tribulation that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 is also characterized by false prophets and false messiahs who perform signs and wonders, but they do it to take advantage of people's suffering. My brothers and sisters, I want to let you know this right now. Signs and wonders do not vindicate prophets and messiahs. What vindicated the messiah and what what vindicated the prophets was how they measured up to the word of God. So Jesus, again, he warns us not to buy into the seduction of these false prophets and these false messiahs because My brothers and sisters, when the Lord Jesus comes, there will be no mistake about it. When the Lord Jesus returns, the entire cosmos will declare his arrival. Verses 29 through 31 pictures Jesus returning as a victorious king who has won a great battle over his enemies. 
It will be a time of great rejoicing for God's children, but the enemies of Christ will mourn because they know, they realize, they understand that the final judgment is imminent. The Lord Jesus will return powerfully, gloriously, and triumphantly as the king who sends his messengers to gather his children to himself from all over the world. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, the Apostle Paul understands Christ's triumphant return as the moment when all believers, dead or alive, will be gathered together by the Lord Jesus. Paul writes of this day, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as well. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And he ends, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, verses 32 through 35 demonstrate to us that this is true. They demonstrate to us the imminence of Christ. The Lord Jesus is imminent, meaning he is near. And the events he prophesied will surely come to pass. Now, Jesus' words will come to pass. Because Jesus' words are the very words of God. In verse 35, Jesus makes his words equal to the words of Yahweh. Isaiah 40, verse 8 declares, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus' words are God's words because Jesus is God. Now, in verses 36 through 51, Jesus answers what is at the heart of the second half of the disciples' questions from verse number 3. In verse 36, Jesus says that no one but God the Father knows the day and hour of his return. Now, Jesus' statement in verse 36, excuse me, is not intended to cause us to wonder about the limitations of his divine foreknowledge. That's not what it's there for. Rather, it is meant to orient the disciples' attention from trying to predict the precise moment of Jesus' return. Jesus' second coming will be unsurprisingly surprising. We know when it's coming, we just don't know when. Jesus' is. Return will be like the birth of a child. Our friends Marcus and Jessica Nobles, they know something about this. During the last couple of weeks of pregnancy, a child can come at any moment. So you better have your sudden labor bag packed. Now, although we know that Jesus is coming back, again, we don't know when. 
It may or may not be in our lifetime. But in verses 42 through 44, Jesus commands us to stay awake and be ready for his purpose and plan. The Lord Jesus wants us to always be living Godward lives. And this is illustrated by the wise and faithful servant in verses 45 through 51. The wise and faithful servant will be found will be found doing the will of his master. And when I was younger, about to embarrass myself. <laughs> when I was younger, my parents gave me chores to do around the house. Uh, my covenant children, y'all listen up because this one's for y'all. Always do your chores, okay? <laughs> and sometimes my mom and dad, they would leave for work. And before they would leave for work, they would tell me, this house better be clean before we get home or else. And then they just leave it at that. And when they get home, when they got home, that house better be clean or I was going to have to suffer the or else. On one particular occasion, I ignored my parents' warning and I slept in and played video games all day long. And when my mom and dad got home, Let's just say I experienced the or else. So my brothers and sisters, in what state will the Lord Jesus find you? Will you be found faithful? Will you be the wise servant or will you be found asleep? My brothers and sisters, it would be a great tragedy to know the truth of the gospel and still end up in hell. I want to encourage us today, don't be numbered with the hypocrites who will most definitely experience gods or else. Stay woke, my friends. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what is this gospel? This gospel that we believe. And just as I closed on last week, this gospel is the truth that God the Son took on flesh and tabernacled with us. And that he lived a perfectly sinless life on our behalf. And that he went to Calvary and was hung up high and stretched out wide. In my dad's Baptist church, they would say that he hung until... The earth began to reel and rock. He hung until the moon dripped in blood, as they would say. Meaning, this was a cataclysmic event that was happening because the Lord and Savior of the whole world was laying down his life for the sins of his church. But the story doesn't end there. After three days, the Lord Jesus was raised and declared all power in his hand, all authority 
And this is the great gospel truth that we believe and that we proclaim. So my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, I again encourage you, don't get caught slipping. Stay woke. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can live into the reality that through your spirit, you have awakened your church. Uh, So Lord, please, we pray and ask that your gospel truth would, uh, would penetrate the hearts and minds, even of the, even of those of us who already believe, but those who have not yet believed, and that they would be awakened to the truth of your gospel, that they would be born again, and that they would be counted among the number of your children. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, this brings us to a beautiful moment uh, in uh, the course of our gathering where we get to uh, celebrate the Lord Jesus' sacrifice in a tangible way as we take the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus by faith. And I want to do as... Pastor Alex often does and take a moment to address our covenant children. Uh, Our covenant children, I I, I hope that you will perk up and and listen to this. We all here long to see the day that you all are able to partake in the Lord's table with us. And we will celebrate that day with you. And uh, we thank God that um, we have a covenant family here who is raising our covenant children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. Now, if you are a member of a in good standing of a evangelical church and you are here as a guest or visitor, we this uh, this table is open to you. Uh, We ask that you uh, would partake in the elements with us as we celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, But if you're not yet a believer, uh, we ask that you would uh, refrain from the elements. Uh, The Apostle Paul warns us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that uh, some have taken these uh, elements in an unworthy manner uh, and some sleep because they have done so. So if you are not yet a believer, there is actually a, a, a great danger to uh, take these elements in an unworthy manner. But we pray that uh, as we partake that uh, the Spirit will be working in your heart to bring you to faith and repentance and we will rejoice in the day that um, you come to Christ in faith and we can enjoy these elements together. Uh, I would like to call the officers forward who are going to be helping us today. Um, 
all are going to be serving. Also, do want to let you know that we do have a gluten-free option uh, if you have a gluten allergy of any kind. All right, looks like everyone has has been served. Uh, let's let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we ask that as we uh, take these elements, that they would uh, be spiritually transformed into. Uh, spiritually transformed from a carnal use to a spiritual use. Lord, help us in faith. Uh, help us to feast on you by, by faith. Strengthen us uh, in this moment through these elements, and through your means of grace. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that on the same night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, as I ministering in his name today, give this bread to all of you, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup. And having given thanks, as has been done in his name today, he gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. pray. Father, again, we thank you that uh, we get to uh, celebrate uh, the reality of what you've done for us in a tangible way by partaking in your supper. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we would be strengthened spiritually by uh, partaking in, in your supper, Lord, just as physical food nourishes us, your spiritual food nourishes us as well. So we thank you for the strength and grace that you provide to your children uh, through this supper. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with us.